on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. When sin goes out and begins to express itself, there's collateral damage. Press Pharaoh, and Pharaoh then gave us the most dangerous word in the world. He said, tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow. I want to spend one more night with the frogs. Does that sound like anybody you know? One more night with that addiction. The truth is, our sin doesn't just hurt us. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young begins his message, Facing Fear, and considers how the foolishness of the prodigal son may have harmed many more lives than just his own. Stay with us. The Winning Walk is coming right up. Here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Facing Fear. We've been studying Luke 15, and we've decided that it's one of the most important chapters in all the Bible. But we also have seen that to understand the Bible, you have to understand that verse, that chapter in context, and ask the question, what is going on? What does this mean? And we have discovered that Jesus was teaching, and the scribes and the Pharisees, the super religious folks of that day, said, let me tell you what's wrong with Jesus. Let me tell you exactly what's wrong with Jesus. He runs around with sinners. Oh, yes. Worse than that, he sits down and has meals with sinners. I mean, how can he be from God? And Jesus answers this accusation by saying, guilty. <laughs> I run around with sinners, absolutely. I go home, eat with them, sure. And then he tells three little stories. And the stories are there to help, hopefully, the Pharisees, the scribes, to discover one simple thing. They thought they were safe, and he wanted them to see that they were lost. Lost. And he tells the story of lost and found. The story of the shepherd had a hundred sheep, lost one. You know, that's not too big a deal, is it? One percent? That bother anybody? Lost 1%, got 100 sheep, lost one, hey. Then a woman who had 10 coins, lost one. Let's see, that's 10%. You know, it's big loss, but not overwhelming. Then a father who had two boys, and he lost one, that's 50%. No, we look at the chapter thoroughly, we see he lost both boys, that's 100%. The young prodigal was guilty of the sins of passion, the flesh. The older prodigal was the sin of disposition, spirit, and attitude. Isn't that interesting? A father lost 
two sons. And the major thrust of this is the elder brother, the older son, the firstborn. He wanted the Pharisees to see, you guys are just like him. Not sins of the flesh, but sins of disposition, of attitude, of a judgmental, negative, condemning spirit. You see, the older brother never left home, but he was as lost as the younger brother who went off in the far country. Let's read about the older brother, because this is really the climax of the story, and we tend to forget about him. Look at it, Luke 15, beginning there in verse number 25. Now, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, a party, a celebration, a banquet. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received the, him safe and sound, by the way, that's the word probably shalom there. It means he received him, he was healthy, and he has been reclaimed by the father. Safe and sound, your father had killed the fatted calf. But he, the older brother, was angry and would not go into the party. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. And so he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat <laughs> that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots and killed the fatty calf for them, and he said to him, son, you're always with me. All that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again. And your brother was lost and is found. What is the most dangerous word in the world? Think about it. What is the most dangerous word in the world? To answer that, we probably need to go to the book of Exodus. And you see there that the children of Israel had been held in captivity for over 400 years. They were slaves to all the Egyptians. Moses was there advocating that Pharaoh let them go, but he didn't have a lot to work with, did he? He didn't have a lot of clout until God gave him those 10 plagues that he could zap on those Egyptians. And so the first plague didn't work. The second plague is perhaps the most interesting plague. It's the plague of frogs, remember? And when you read in the Bible there, it's almost humorous. It said, you know, there are frogs everywhere. They came surging out of the Nile. There were frogs in the food. There were frogs in the table. There was frogs wherever they would go, frogs in the royal pizza. And you can imagine Pharaoh's wife and daughters were standing in chairs screaming all the time at all those frogs in everything, in bed with you, wherever you would go. 
he would back out the royal chariot and run over about 100 frogs. I mean, it just permeated everything, and Pharaoh was just upset. The noise, the croaking all the time. You couldn't hear anything. Frogs, frogs, frogs. And finally, Pharaoh says, hey, get rid of these frogs. And Moses said, he said, I have a frog begone prayer. And he said, I can pray that prayer anytime and the frogs will be gone. But he said, Pharaoh, I'm going to let you decide when I pray that prayer. You tell me when to pray it and no more frogs. Now, Pharaoh thought that through. He said, man, how do you live with these frogs? The croaking and the screeching and all the filth and frogs and everything and everybody. He said, but then I'll have to let all my slaves go. Won't everybody do all the work? So he was sort of balancing that in his mind. And all of a sudden, Moses says, well, what is it? You make the choice. When do you want me to pray the, pray, the frog be gone prayer? And Moses pressed Pharaoh, and Pharaoh then gave us the most dangerous word in the world. He said, tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow. I want to spend one more night with the frogs. Does that sound like anybody you know? One more night with that addiction. One more night with that unforgiveness. One more night with that attitude. One more night with that critical spirit. One more night, there you go. One more night with the frogs. The Greeks saw this in human personality, and they had a special word for it. And they said, how in the world that human beings know that what they're doing or what they're not doing is absolutely taking the life out of them, it's slowly killing them, and they keep on doing it. One more night with the frogs. That sound like anybody here? Anybody identify with that? Tomorrow. I'll get right tomorrow. I will settle it tomorrow. One more night with the frogs. I thought about that prodigal. We've already looked at him thoroughly. He took off the far country. We know the story. Threw his life away, extravagant living, wild living. And finally, he ran out of bullets. A famine came, and he knew he had to go back to his father. But remember, he didn't go back to his father with the attitude, oh, I'm going back home, father, because I've broken your heart. I've taken all your money. I've, I've thrown it away. No, no, he went back because he was Hungry. A hungry stomach will preach better sermons than anything on this earth. And he was hungry, and he made up that little speech. And if you were here, you remember the speech he made up was hypocritical. It's the same speech that Pharaoh made up when he was conning Mo Moses with a later plague. Father, I've sinned against heaven before the same words in Exodus. He said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as a hired servant. So he made up his little speech, and he got up and left the pig farm where he'd been slopping the hogs. Now, I wonder how long he worked for that pig farmer. 
I wonder how long. I think an extended period of time. He was there for a while, and I'm sure after he got the stench on him against everything he believed of God in his religion, I have a feeling that almost every day he said, tomorrow, I'm going to get up and go my father. You know, but I'm going to spend just one more night with the hogs. Then the next day, he'd get caught up, and he remembered the shame he'd have to face, the embarrassment he'd have to face with the community, with his family, with his friends, with his dad. He said, you know, I, I think I, 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 I'll go tomorrow. I'll spend, you know, another night with the hogs. But then you know the beautiful story. When he came to himself, not that he repented, he just said, I think I know a way back. He made his little speech, and he started back home. His father ran, greeted him. We've dealt with that if you've been around the last few weeks. And the father didn't wait until he cleaned up. I love that. He put the robe over all of his raggedy, filthy, smelly clothes, kissed him, sandals, a ring, and took him all the way back home. And now he was safe, secure, reinstated, back under the covering of the wealth of the father. And, you know, somebody said, well, that's the whole gospel. You know, that's the whole story. If someone discovered their sin, goes back, and the grace of God covers their sin, he didn't bring anything. He didn't become a hired servant. You can't do anything yourself to make up for all the sin, the garbage, the Father with his grace. And that's the way the grace of God operates in the life of those who come home to him. We say, that's the whole story. No, it's not. To finish out the story, and by the way, you can't put the whole gospel into any one little section of the Bible. It's bigger than that. But to put some of the gospel into it, let's imagine that a neighbor of that father, another prosperous rancher, farmer, knew the boy all of his life, and he would travel and make trade agreements in the area, and he went to the area where he knew the prodigal had lived for a number of years. He had discovered that after he'd come home. And so he goes there, and he begins, he checks in the inn, and he asks the innkeeper, you know, they had a young man came here some years ago, and he lived with you a long time in this area. I wonder if you know him, and he described him, and the innkeeper had no recognition until he said, well, before he left, he ended up working for a pig farmer outside of town. He said when he said that, all of a sudden, the innkeeper's expression changed. And from somebody who was congenial and gracious, suddenly you could see anger. He said, oh, yeah, I, now I know who you're talking about. And the neighbor said, look, but he's back home with his father and everything is great, and he's secured. His, everything has been restored. It's a wonderful story. And that innkeeper said, does he think that the forgiveness of the father is the only forgiveness that he needs? Collateral damage. When sin goes out and begins to express itself, there's collateral damage. With that, he walked out of the inn. 
he went on the streets. He said he saw some men sitting out there in the village, and he began to talk with them, and he brought up the name of the prodigal again. He said, did you know this man when he lived here for a while? And one of them turned and says, I know exactly who you're talking about. And he said, I want to tell you, he's back home with the father. He's doing fine. He, he's been totally restored. He said, does he think that because he's back home now in the lap of luxury that everything is over? He said, I wish he discovered security with the father before he ever came down here and lived with us. He said, do you see that young girl walking over there with a, a baby on her hip, Eastern style? Said, that little girl, that woman was a fine young person in our area, but you're prodigal is the father of that baby. Look at her. And he said, by the way, you want to see how your prodigal lived here? Go to the bank and ask them how much money he walked away from, how much he owes them. And he said, by the way, if you want to stick around till about 10 o'clock this morning, you'll see a lot of young men going into the bar even in the morning to get dog drunk until they stagger out late in the afternoon, said those were fine young men. Do your prodigal came here with all of his money, all of his charisma and all of his personality? He said he took people that were high and pushed them down. He took people who were down and pushed them lower. And this neighbor of the prodigal's family turned away he said, I, I couldn't get it out of my mind. Does the forgiveness of the father, does he think that's all the forgiveness he needs? He said, I checked out of the inn the next morning and the innkeeper's wife was there and, and she came up to me and knew I knew this prodigal who had lived in the area. And she said, I want you to know I've forgiven him. But she said, let me tell you what he needs to do. He needs to come back from the security and the wealth of his father's house and come back here and spend some time with us and try to set some things right that he set wrong. And she said he needs to come back and be an evangelist and tell a lot of young people who think, boy, we're having a good time. We're really blowing through everything and let them see the high cost of low living. He needs to help these young men to see the error of his ways and to point them how they cannot live like that. For that question, collateral damage. We don't sin on, on an island, ladies and gentlemen. Our sin splatters over people, splatters over things, and goes on long after we've passed. Collateral damage affects the universe, affects all the lives who are around it. That's the Paul Harvey's phrase, the rest of the story. There needs to be retribution, all that it can, all that it can happen. Then we look at the older brother. Say, well, he's sort of a better guy. If some of you parents had lived in that community and this young guy came there with all the money and all the charisma and all the smile and everything going great, would you rather your daughter date him or the older brother? Secure, working, faithful. Oh, we take the older brother every time when we parents. 
But look at his plight. We see there that when his brother came home, what was his response? Anger. What was he angry at? That his father had taken this young whippersnapper who'd been so immoral, had taken it back in, and everybody was saying, your father is a fool. He's been conned by your younger brother again. And then the second thing, if you listen carefully when I was reading, what the older brother said to his dad, his father, he said, listen, he took all of our money and he spent it there on wild living. He said, I was here all the time working in the field, working with the animals, and I was totally obedient to you. You see, he didn't understand the prodigal, even he went off, and boy, he had a great time. That great time had scarred his life, even though forgiven, for the rest of his days. Marriage would not be like it would have been. Trust in him would not be like it would have been. Sleepless nights would not be there like they would be. So he didn't understand that. He thought his father, well, you didn't even kill a goat for me. <laughs> have a party, and you killed the fatted calf, had a barbecue, man, for all the family. And you see, there was a misunderstanding of, of the party that the father had thrown. The father, we know, threw the party for himself, celebrating for all the community that his boy had come back home was under his covering again. It was for the father. If you'd gone in that party with the band playing and the barbecue being served and the dancing going on, the head of the line would not be the prodigal. He'd be the father. He'd be congratulated. His boy's back home, the father. The same way with the shepherd and the sheep. The sheep wouldn't be out there. To, oh, it's your party. No, no, the shepherd would be out there. They'd be celebrating with him. They found the sheep. The woman would have been out there. She had the party. The father threw the party, a celebration for his family and his friends for himself, and he would be at the head of the line. The prodigal would be behind. That was his understanding. And the slave, the boy in the field there who was not old enough to go into the party, when the younger brother came out and said, what's going on? What's all this racket, the music? He said, it's your father has thrown a party because your brother has come back home. And he was saying, the father is throwing a party for himself in celebratory activity for this great homecoming. You see it? But the elder brother, he didn't see the party like that. He said, oh, you're showing favoritism. Oh, yeah. For your son, not my brother has come home. Oh, your son has come home. We see an interesting thing here. We see in the story of the prodigal in 15th chapter and the story of the elder brother, you divide those up and there are eight stanzas in the prodigal and seven stanzas there with the older brother. What is that? It's unfinished. Eight over here, seven here. The last stanza, there is a question at the end. He said, my son who was dead is alive, who's lost is found. He leaves it open-ended for the eighth stanza in the interpretation of the word because the scribes and Pharisees had to decide. 
had to identify or not identify with the elder brother whose sin was a sin of disposition and attitude and judgmental spirit. Now, what's the rest of that story? Well, you say there's the whole gospel. No, it's not. How should this story of the father with two sons have been written? A father had two sons, and let's give them names. The older son was Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus. The younger son was Adam, man. Adam, firstborn in history. Yeshua, firstborn of the father, had two sons. The younger son took off, we know that. But back home, we see the father brokenhearted. See the father praying every night for that boy. Yeshua, the older brother, hearing that prayer and the tears of the father. And Yeshua many times seeing his dad take his robe and wipe tears out of his eyes. He said, Dad, what's the matter? It's Adam. He, he's, he's still out there. And then you can imagine one night that Yoshia came back home early. He saw a light in Adam's room, and he said, oh, maybe he's come home. And he runs up to the room, and he's not there, but there's a light. And he realized that every night his father had put a light in the room in case Adam came home at night. He could see the light waiting for him to come. Yoshua saw the father aging. He watched him every day. He'd go out on top of their house and look up that road, hoping to see some sign that this would be the day that Adam would come back. And finally, Yoshua would go to the market. He would ask as travelers would come through, did they see his son? Did they see his brother? And so it came back. He knew generally where Adam was. And he had reports on Adam until finally it came back that Adam was sick. And Adam was now slopping pigs for a pig farmer. And he went in and got his courage up, and Yoshia went in and said, Father, I've heard from Adam. Where is he? He's working on a farm. Oh, good. But he's sick. Oh, what kind of farm is it? It's a pig farm. The father would have crushed his chest. Oh, no. Oh, no. Not my boy, Adam. Oh, no. Yeshua said, Father, I'm going to go and get Adam. And I'm going to bring him home. He said, son, you can't do that. You're, you're the, my only son, the only son that I have left. I can't let you go in the far country. It's too risky for you to go. He said, father, I'm going. So early next morning, Yoshua got up. He made his way to the pig farm, and it was night, and he went in a little shack there, and he got close. He could smell the stench of human waste and pig waste and slop and slime. And he went over and Adam was asleep there. And he touched him and he had high fever, saw he was delirious, and he awakened him. And Yeshua said the odor was more heinous and, and more overwhelming than I could believe. And he said, I awakened my brother. He didn't know me. Then he recognized me and said, Yeshua, he said, I've come to get you. 
I'm going to take you back home. He said, it's too late. I'm dying. It's too late. He said, besides that, I've run up a big debt. I owe the pig farmer a lot of money. He'll not let me go. He said, I'm going to take you home. Then the pig farmer shows up. <laughs> and, and the pig farmer says, you can't take him. He's going to stay here till he works and pays me back every dime he owes me. And then we see Yoshua said to the pig farmer, I'll take his place. I'll slop the hogs. I'll become your slave. I'll pay back everything he owes. So the next morning on the slave roster, there was a new name up there, Yeshua. And Yeshua stayed and worked and felt the whip and the shame, the degradation of slavery, slopping the pigs, the hogs, sleeping with them until he earned enough money to pay the pig farmer back. And then he went and he said, Adam, we're ready to go home. And Adam now couldn't walk. So Yoshia had to have a yoke and he took a cross and tied it to his back, tied himself to the cross and got Adam and they started trudging their way home, walking their way home. And when they were yet a far way away, far away off, uh, the father saw them. He didn't care what they said in the synagogue. He didn't care what the community said. He didn't care what the rest of the family said. He ran to get those boys, and he didn't wait till they cleaned up because both of them were filled with the stench and the slime and the dust and the filth and the dirt of the hogs. And he kissed them, covered them with his robe. And then Yoshia, Jesus, took Adam, you and me, and began to walk back to the door of the house. And the father looked and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He was dead, he's alive, he was lost, and he's found. All of us Adams who are here, every one of us, all of us Adams who are here, all of us Adams, we have gone in so many ways of sin of passion or sin of disposition, and we've gone out into the slime. Ah, but... Yoshia, Jesus has come and he picks us up and he says, come back home. Come all the way back home. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Well, before we leave you today, Dr. Young is here to answer a couple of questions coming out of the message we've just heard. Dr. Young, let me ask you, what are some of the ways that we tend to be like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son, and how can we guard against sins of disposition? Sins of disposition. That may be, as most people do not know, the central thing that was taught in the parable uh, right there in that passage, right there in the parable of the prodigal son. It was the older brother who stayed at home, the older brother who was obedient, and that's who Jesus was primarily addressing in that parable. He was saying to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, 
those religious experts, those who dotted every I and crossed every T. You are more repulsive than the prodigals who go out and do sensual evil things by your judgmental, unforgiving, hard-line experience. The Bible, Jesus teaches us, God forgives us the way you and I forgive one another. We can't be forgiven by God through Jesus Christ until we have that forgiveness in us. The way I forgive you and the way you forgive me will be the standard that God will use. Whoa, that may not be grace if I'm hard and judgmental like the Pharisees, and that's exactly what the prodigal son's parable is all about. That older brother put his father on a guilt trip. We can all be caught in that. That's what church people sometimes turn off the unchurched because of the same legalistic, super pietistic, holier-than-thou attitude of those who desperately need to know the Father through Jesus Christ. Very helpful. Thank you, Dr. Young. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Now, it's great to have Dr. Young right here in the studio to answer a couple of questions today. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.